Good morning. This is Alicia Bales. Welcome to a special Open Lines program this morning. On the line with me are Supervisors Ted Williams of Mendocino County's 5th District and John Haschak of the 3rd District. We're going to focus on two urgent issues this morning. One, of course, is the ongoing outbreak at the Mendocino County Jail, which is up to, as of last report, 90 positive cases and has spread from the men's jail to now the women's jail. Supervisor Williams has been working to make sure all departments in the county are focused on stopping the spread of COVID at the jail and he'll give us an update on what's being done at that front on that front and the other issue we're going to be looking at this morning is an item that's coming up on tomorrow's board of supervisors meeting agenda the the first meeting of 2021 and it's a proposal by the sheriff's department to approve four million dollars to add 10 new deputies to address quote organized crime and illegal marijuana grows in mendocino county sheriff kendall has been expressing concern about what he calls cartels, especially operating out of Covalo, where in the last several months we've seen uh, a a number of high-profile violent crimes. uh, And this weekend, uh, there was a proposal uh, that was released, and a lot of people have expressed outrage because the proposal included a photo of a a black man who was hogtied lying in the dirt from an incident that happened this year up in the third district um at the time at a time now when black lives matter protests across the country and here in mendocino county have called for a re-examination of funding priorities for law enforcement the proposal and the offensive photo are drawing some criticism and supervisor haschak has been working with the sheriff on the new public safety advisory board established last fall to bring some citizen oversight to mendocino county law enforcement he's going to talk about some of the background of the current proposal as well as this controversy about the photo and i want to welcome both of you to kzyx thanks so much for for joining us here on the first monday of 2021 all right good morning thanks for having us this is john haschak Good morning. Glad to be here. This. Good morning, Supervisor Haschek. And Ted, Supervisor Williams, are you there? I, I am. Uh, good morning, Mendocino County. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, we'll be opening the phone lines at about 9.30 for listeners to join this conversation. And if you'd like to join, you can call 707 895 That's 707 895 2448 about 9:30 this morning. But first supervisors before we get started um talking about these two issues, I'd like to recognize that over the weekend we lost three lives in our county to COVID-19. Yeah, that's a tragic loss and um you know all we can do is um to honor those people is um to do what we can is being safe, you know, upholding, um, you know, the masking and social distancing and doing what we need to do to to stay safe because um, their loss is our community's loss. Truly. Um, Ted Williams, uh, last week I talked with Sheriff Kendall about the outbreak at the jail, which at that point was uh, several dozen people. We we talked about the sor- the potential source of the outbreak and and the uh, the steps that the county jail was taking to stop the spread. Now it looks like the, at the jail there are ninety confirmed positive cases. Not all of them are currently being housed at the jail. Some of them have been moved out. Some of them are staff members. But can you give us the latest um, about the outbreak at the jail? What do you know? And from your point of view as a supervisor, uh, what what are you kind of seeing? going on at the jail 
Well, I have a lot of constituents contacting me. I imagine the other supervisors do as well, asking, what will you do about the jail? And, um, you know, this again highlights some of the fractured nature of, of California government that it's not always clear who has authority and who has responsibility. Um, code makes it clear that uh, the sheriff keeps the jail. Do the Board of Supervisors have any uh, additional oversight? I'm not sure. But I think we're putting that aside for now. And um, I've asked, I've personally asked the sheriff to work with public health and public health to work with the sheriff. Put aside any differences right now is the time to focus on uh, stopping the spread and saving uh, lives in the jail. And, and, I, and I, I see both sides um, doing their best. As I understand it from the public health perspective, the number one priority today is separating the positive cases uh, from the others, pulling the sick people out from those who have not uh, uh, become um, infected with COVID-19. And uh, I, as of uh, late last night, when the sheriff and I talked, uh, he had a plan. I think at every turn, these plans are about compromises. We don't have the resources we need, and the state is overwhelmed. We're probably not getting additional help. Um, so, you know, as he uh, makes those compromises, um, you know, I think we should give him the benefit of the doubt that it's, it's the best compromise on the table. Um, but again, the, the sick patients need to be removed from the r- remainder of the population. Well, when you say sick patients, it sounds like at the jail, most of the cases, if I think there are a, a few, a handful that are showing symptoms, but most of them are asymptomatic. So can you talk about what is the current status? I mean, it seems like the first thing that would happen is the separation of the positive from the negative in order to stop the spread. Is that not happening? Well, um, I don't know that it's happened yet. Um, there's talk about plans, and um, I'm waiting eagerly. Hopefully that happens um, as soon as possible. I would like to see it yesterday, but I, I know they're doing what they can to make that happen. Um, because the nature of being able to test um, you know, the entire module or the entire jail, uh, we may be de- detecting positives before people become symptomatic. What we know is uh, prison populations tend to have uh, um, much worse outcomes, maybe uh, twice as bad as the general population. And, uh, you know, whether it's the nature of uh, close confinement or maybe not the healthiest people going into jail in a lot of cases, we know that the uh, the outcomes could be tragic. And um, our our public health actually doesn't typically perform patient care in the jail. The jail has that outsourced to a company uh, called NAF Care. And I think maybe that's where the Board of Supervisors comes in, putting a little bit more pressure on them to make sure of all times that they're not understaffing. you know, whatever they provide in normal times, it's not enough during a pandemic with an outbreak. And yeah, talking about the role of the Board of Supervisors, uh, it does seem that the that the Sheriff's Department is responsible for writing the plan uh, f- in preparation of a potential COVID outbreak at the jail and then implementing it. Uh, but in terms of oversight, to look at that plan and to see if the jail is following the plan, um, have you been able to do any of that? Uh, me personally, the supervisors, yeah, or any anyone in the county. I, I I think I would say more more needs to be done. Um, hopefully on Tuesday, uh, the sheriff's office can give us an update of where we are on that plan. Um, I'm being cautious about pulling the sheriff, you know, off on ta- tangents because I know he's he's sleeping four hours a night and he is focused almost entirely on the jail crisis. So. You know, it's kind of a mixed bag. We don't want to pull him in and just question him 
um, you know, just for the public spectacle of it. But if we feel that skips steps are being omitted or that there's uh, more resources that we could offer, of course, that needs to happen. I think this will come up on the uh, COVID update at the uh, Tuesday Board of Supervisors meeting. Right. And there's always a blurry line between um, politicians trying to come in and enact health policy. This is really um, a role that public health should be taking on. Do you know what role public health is taking at the jail to stop the outbreak? Well, I know public health is meeting with the um, the jail staff. I think it's um, uh, once a day in the afternoon. And they're trying to work together. And, of course, the uh, folks who run the jail, they have intimate knowledge about what's in, in, entailed in that operation and, you know, working with some people who, um, you know, prob- probably shouldn't be out on the street. They're a risk to society. And the idea of moving them to another facility, they know what that dynamic will look like. And then, of course, uh, they don't have the, uh, the knowledge of how to stop the spread uh, of, 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 of a virus like COVID. And that's where public health comes in. And I think those two different sets of domain knowledge need to be in the same virtual room uh, collaborating on a plan. I don't know if we've had as tight a collaboration as I would like. And it you know, probably didn't seem like a pressing problem relative to other problems until, until we had cases in the jail. And now it's a crisis. Yeah, and I, I've been told uh, by the sheriff that Mendocino County is not alone in this crisis, that many jails across the state are facing uh, similar outbreaks, although 90 seems like, you know, with with a population of 260 uh, inmates, uh, both permanent inmates and pretrial, uh, plus staff members, it seems like 90 is a lot of cases, and I think we're expecting that number as testing goes on to rise. So it's just... It's interesting. I'm, I'm just trying to understand if there really is a written plan that you've been able to see and if the if the jail is uh, implementing that plan or, um, you know, how how we are to observe and, and find out what's going on there. If if the response by the sheriff's department is is adequate when we have cases seeming to um, be exploding out there. Yeah, I always favor transparency. I've actually seen the Sonoma County plan. Um, um, on Tuesday, I'm happy to ask. Maybe we can get the Mendocino County plan published. I don't know if there's any uh, security concern about it, but if not, let's see it. Yep, and I'd also like to hear from public health about what, what actions they're taking. It, I mean, one of the things that you are working on is trying to make sure everybody's working together, right? How, how have those efforts been going? Well, I think the nature of this is not an everyday activity, um, and so there's there's going to be some hiccups, and, you know, you have a lot of strong personalities, there probably will be some conflict behind the scenes. I think at the moment, um, it's, it's, it's going reasonably well, uh, so I think it's headed in a better direction. As compared to? Well, could always, there's... Uh, you know, it's I, I, what I've learned over two years is that there's there's always conflict behind the scenes, and you know some of that conflict is out of the nature of the state handing down uh, inadequate resources and unfunded mandates and um, nuances in who has authority, and sometimes getting getting all of those pieces uh, working together uh, cooperatively and efficiently uh, is a task, and uh, it's it's not always best to just pull it out in open session at board of supervisors, right? Um, <laughs> and sometimes it's better to nudge behind the scenes. Let's let's find a better way, way to work together. I think at the moment we're heading in a good direction. Public health and the sheriff's office 
are, are working together and uh, looking for the best possible outcome at the jail. And um, I think the, the, me- the metric for me is going to be whether they're able to separate the, the positives. If that doesn't happen, I will have increased concern. Um, but I think the sheriff is making every, every attempt to, to move on that. Do you have any uh, insight about how the separation from the, of the positives from the people who aren't infected would happen? Is it, you know, do they have the facilities? Would they have to be moving inmates out to other facilities? Any insight on that at all? Well, there's been discussion about alternate uh, facilities, and um, that's that's a large endeavor potentially. The shuttling and um, the the safety of it. I I think the sheriff is also considering some early release for folks who would otherwise be out soon, and he feels are not a risk to society. And if they're able to get the numbers down, um, they may be able to use one of the modules for the positives and do the separation uh, at the jail itself. And I think if that can work, that's probably the best approach. All right. And then one thing that uh, we talked about last week when the sheriff and the uh, lieutenant uh, or the PIO from the jail were on was uh, the masking, uh, masking of inmates. And it sounded like uh, inmates have some choice about whether or not they'll be wearing masks. Is there do you know if there's a mandatory masking policy out at the jail at this point? I've heard that as well. Um, I don't, that's probably a better question for the sheriff. Okay. I, I, I would say it's required at this point. It's like, do you, do you want to live? And, uh, how about the more vulnerable person in the cell over? Are you going to let them live? Yeah. Masks should be required. And I understand some of the inmates don't want to wear masks, just like some of our general public wants to go in the grocery store without masks. Uh, it's been asked and answered. Um, Mendocino County, uh, needs a better outcome. And the way we get there is social distancing. It's hard to do in a jail and masks. And I think if you ask public health, you'll probably get the same answer that uh, masks are are essential at this stage. And isolating the people who test positive. Yep. Quarantining people who have been exposed. Um, Okay, let's turn to you, Supervisor Haschak. Uh, Good morning. And we were talking uh, during the intro about uh, this proposal by the sheriff to uh, to the Board of Supervisors to approve $4 million to add 10 new deputies. Can you just uh, bring listeners up to date about this proposal and what you guys will be talking about tomorrow during the Board of Supervisors? Yeah, it goes... uh, Thanks, Alicia. So it goes back to... um, Earlier in the fall, when Sheriff Kendall was saying that he needed more staff, and so Supervisor Williams and I uh, had an agenda item where we asked for, you know, the trend lines, the data, the the information that would um, show, you know, the need that the Sheriff's Department has, and to get beyond the anecdotal and go to, really, what the data is. Um, and so that was on October 6th, and at that time, the board agreed with um, Sheriff Kendall that it looked like there was a need that we would look forward to this data, and that um, when we got the data, that Sheriff Kendall and I, as the chair at the time, would write a letter to the state, you know, requesting funding through either Cal Cannabis or whatever state agency could provide some um, extra help for, you know, what we were seeing as increased um, cartel involvement in parts of um, Mendocino County, especially in my district up in the 
Covalo area. So, so since that time, we've been waiting for this um, data gathering process in the sheriff's office, and and so now the sheriff is coming back to the board with that information. And you know, in my talks with the sheriff that it really is um, information that he wants the board to have, and at the same time that we will be crafting a communication to the state. And Supervisor Williams and I have talked to um, Assemblymember Wood. We've talked to um, Nicole Elliott at Cal Cannabis and the governor's office. And, and so we're talking to these people who, who could... Um, you know, make some change and possibly provide a source of funding to us. And um, so um, I think that's what the goal of the sheriffs is, is to make sure that the board is is in agreement with the process and that we pursue all the funding because I think there's a recognition that that the county doesn't have extra $4 million laying around right now. And so... I don't think the sheriff wants to to get the, that $4 million from, you know, cutting other departments. But if we can go through a state process, then that would be better. Is it and clear? Go ahead. Um, Supervisor Williams and I have been looking at um, what we can do, like in a collaborative way, to to deal with enforcement in our county and that would mean um, contacting other counties, trying to do kind of a joint um, process where, you know, what we're seeing now is is growers from Humboldt moving into Mendocino County because they feel like the enforcement is stricter up there and it's a little more loose here. And so we've seen this influx of people from from Humboldt. And then as soon as the sheriff goes up and starts um, enforcing, then people will go over to Trinity County. And so we're seeing this kind of shuffling and movement migration just to avoid any kind of enforcement. If we had a collaborative approach where we were all kind of enforcing the same, you know, doing um, saving money by doing a, a scaling you know, and sharing of resources, I think that would be another way of solving some of the problems we're having. Right. Is it clear, I mean, and how are the discussions going about whether or not adding deputies is really going to be the most effective way to deal with, uh, now it sounded like it was cartels that were really the, the problem, but now you're saying there's also these kind of roving bands of illegal uh, growers who are going from county to county to avoid regulation. Is that, is 10 deputies the thing that is needed there or are there some, are there other policies that might be more effective? And also how did we get here to the point where we have cartels uh, and and you know these stories of gruesome violent crime coming out of Covalo. Um, can you can you talk about those things? And Ted, feel free to to pipe in here too. Well, I, I had a similar question. Could we could we better define cartel? I mean, I would think a lot of those folks coming out of Southern Humboldt may may not be cartel. Not to say it isn't a problem. Um, but John, given that I th- I think that the cartel activity is mostly in your district, could you define it a little bit? What is the scale? What are the characteristics? 
how do we, what do we put in that bin versus, you know, just um, outlaw cannabis cultivation? Right. Um, well, certainly, you know, the people who are probably migrating around looking to avoid that low-level enforcement are probably not cartels. But what we're seeing is, um, you know, these cartels that are really well-financed, huge scales of grows, illegal operations. And, you know, after the August complex fire, I was um, in a meeting with Cal Fire people and Representative Huffman, and the Cal Fire people were saying that during that fire, there were roads that um, they couldn't even go on because there were what they called Bulgarian cartels or Romanian cartels that were up there and had told Cal Fire that they couldn't even go up the road. So... So I think it's, um, you know, when we're talking cartel, it's not just Mexican cartels. It's, you know, some of these um, other Eastern Europeans. And uh, and so they're very well financed. They're well armed. And I think that hiring 10 deputies, I don't know if that's the, the path to deal with these these kind of situations. Um, the sheriff would certainly know better than me. Is that enough of an explanation? Yeah, well, it sounds like we have uh, this idea of these sort of foreign uh, organizations, organized crime, and then we sort of have the homegrown, roving black market, I guess is is what you, you were describing as people going from county to county. Um yeah, well, there's also been some controversy about the proposal itself. Do you want to talk about that? That this weekend the proposal had a, a a photo in it that was really upsetting to people. Right, and you know, both Ted and I have talked to the sheriff about that, and I think that the sheriff's attempt at putting that picture of the black man who was hogtied was to. Uh, to illustrate that, you know, without proper number of deputies out in the field, that people will resort to vigilante justice. And this was an example of vigilante justice, and um, we certainly can't um, go there. And so it's better to have um, proper amounts of, you know, deputies in the field. And unfortunately... Um, you know, it it had a black person who um, isn't really representative of the um, percentage of the population who are involved in crime and all that. And so, so I think that the sheriff um, understands that that maybe that wasn't the best illustration, and that um, as part of the. Um, equity, diversity, and inclusion task force, you know, we're looking at some of these issues of implicit bias and unconscious bias that are happening in our throughout the county, not just the sheriff's department, but through other departments, too, and how do we kind of um, deal with those. And so this is a good, good example of something that, hey, maybe one person didn't think about 
how other people would react to it, but certainly in this day and age, we need to start thinking about, you know, how everyone will react and Right. And what the so often the discourse about funding uh, law enforcement has to do with fear and the fear of crime and violent crime being done to you and your family. And a lot of times um, the complaints of, of civil rights activists, particularly Black Lives Matter, is that uh, there's there's racist fears that are stoked or what they call dog whistles um, to, you know, that the fear is really the fear of black people or the fear of Mexicans, you know, and, and so to see that photo uh, really kind of was in line with some of those criticisms that were using sort of very, um, you know, extreme images to provoke fear so that we will respond by giving law enforcement more money to to do their job. But really what uh, people are asking for is a much more reasoned uh, discourse about the the effective use of this money, uh, where it might be put to the best use and, and, and to talk more sort of calmly about the dangers that, that we face in the county. Um, we've heard about marijuana as a, a an illegal marijuana as a, you know, a, a need to fund law enforcement for decades here. And I think a lot of us are exhausted from that and very skeptical about that. Although there is obviously very real, uh, very real problems in your district supervisor out in, uh, we've heard a lot in Covelo most recently, the kidnapping and murder of, of a pair of community members out there so there's definitely something going on but the the question about whether or not we need to stoke fear and show um you know really horrendous image of a, of a black man who was hogtied by mendocino county residents and left in the dirt that that is i think really um raising people's hackles uh and and ted you had done an analysis of some of the numbers in the proposal uh when we've heard about the the increase in violent crime since the pandemic uh you looked at some of those numbers what did you find well i've actually asked the clerk to attach my analysis and i i basically took the sheriff's numbers and and did some charting looking at uh the trend and um you know where we are this year or um January through November of uh, 2020 relative to the mean of the data he provided. And in a, in a lot of categories, uh, crime was actually uh, significantly down. And um, I would attribute that maybe to the sheltering that, um, I mean, that's that's really what changed is we're in COVID. There are a couple of categories that were up, child abuse and domestic violence. And of course, child abuse may actually be underreported, could be a lot worse than what we know. Because schools are closed, and schools uh, t- tend to be one of the the reporting parties, um, I you know I would hope social workers might might fit in with a with a plan to address those categories. Um, there are times when law enforcement is needed. There are times when there's a less expensive, maybe more effective tool that's just appropriate for the type of problem at hand. So I'm I'm with John. I think that uh, in my lifetime we haven't seen much of a increase in staffing of of officers out patrolling on the streets. We probably need that. I don't know how to fund it because anything anything we decide to fund, if we give a million dollars to a new endeavor, we've got to take a million dollars from another category. This county is basically living paycheck to paycheck and um, not in really great financial shape, I would say. And so where, where, where do we take that million dollars to give the sheriff a million a year that he legitimately needs? We could take it from the district attorney or we could take it from the public defender. Well, no, of course we can't do that, right? 
I'm sure the DA would come on and tell us all the reasons why he's running an efficient office and, you know, watching every penny and he can't cut back a million. So, uh, there's, there's a, a financial uh, hurdle that'll block us from effectively approving this type of increase. We don't, I don't think we have the money. Now I, the sheriff wants to go to the state and argue that proposition 64 is creating new situations, uh, that, uh, justify state funding. I'm all for that. Let's get the data together. Let's make a compelling case. Let's partner with our our neighboring counties, maybe maybe Humboldt and Trinity, maybe others. Uh, I'm all for that. I haven't seen the data yet, and you know it's a little bit unfair to demand it today when the sheriff is trying to save inmates at the jail. I don't want to take his focus away, but I think there is an opportunity for us to work together and maybe augment the sheriff's office with somebody who can help capture that data and decide what's pertinent, what would make the compelling case to the state and and also help us look at a strategic plan the, the when i look at the crime log the stuff that's going on mostly in um Hasjack's district uh is it, just shocking i mean that the, the types of crime uh it's not the quantity when you look at the the call log yeah maybe it's about the same as the mean but the types of crime we've seen this past year uh some of them some of it is horrific and if that's cartel activity we need to get rid of the cartel we need to do whatever it will take but we need to have that we need to clarify where that is who it is maybe there are some photos of uh, of these folks who are blocking the road for cal cal fire we need to be very clear on what's happening and what we think we're going to accomplish with the additional funds basically we need a business plan i've been asking for a business plan for measure b for the mental health I've kind of given up we're not going to get one but again this is an instance where we need a solid plan before we execute all right. Well, this is KZYX. We, this is Alicia Bales in the studio on the line with Supervisor Ted Williams of the 5th District and Supervisor John Haschak of the 3rd District. We're talking about the outbreak at the jail uh, and also about this proposal to add 10 deputies to the Sheriff's Department that's going to come up in, in the first Board of Supervisors meeting tomorrow. Um, thank you both so much for being here. Let's go ahead and open up the phone lines now. Uh, it's 932. The number here in the studio is seven. 7- Zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. That's seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. And we welcome your calls. We have our first caller. Let's go ahead and take that. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, hi, uh, Alicia. Uh, I wonder if uh, I'd like to ask the supervisors. Uh, you know, in addition to the cartel activity and the moving around of uh, black market growers, uh, what what we've seen. Uh, certainly in Willits, is uh, that county staff, planning and building staff, even though the so-called Phase One legacy grower uh, portion of the uh, cannabis ordinance has been uh, closed, and certainly there's no Phase Three, new growers have not been allowed, and yet new grows, new quote-unquote illegal grows have popped up everywhere in the county, especially uh, I just know that in Willits there's a lot of... Um, uh, people that are claiming they have legal grows and they're new growers. They shouldn't be allowed. Staff clearly allowed them in. Uh, so what are the, what is the board going to do about all of these really uh, illegal, according to the county ordinance, people that have been allowed in uh, during this period when when no new grows should be allowed or under other circumstances? What uh, what is the board going to do about that? Well. I can't speak for the whole board, but um, 
David, if there are new grows in the past year, uh, those are probably outlaw grows because the process has been closed. No new applications have been accepted. And I, I would say that uh, you know, that's that's really for the sheriff. That's law enforcement. That's not planning and building if it's just illegal activity. As far as the phase one, the, the big problem we have is there's no way to differentiate the folks who are following the rules from the folks who aren't. And it's because we set up this ordinance that is so convoluted, so disjointed, um, so contrary to the state policy that we haven't managed to get state licenses for the cultivators. So there's nothing to exactly to hold them to. And you have cultivators looking at this wondering, how, why should we bother uh, participating in this program and following these rules when there's no, there's no end light at the end of the tunnel? The good news is we have an item on the agenda for, for Tuesday to uh, essentially allow these phase one cultivators about 1100 or 800 as the state sees it to hire their own uh, approved uh, consultant from an approved list provided by the county uh, at their own expense to finish their CEQA paperwork and submit it to the state. And uh, this is a bit of a long shot. Staff tells us that 10 or 15% may get through. Well, those 10 or 15%, let's get them through because they've done everything imaginable over the last three years to jump through all the hoops. They deserve to finish. What do we do with the other folks? And it, it may be that the culpability is with the county that we set up an ordinance before ahead of the state that is just not compatible. And, I mean, everybody it rolls their eyes. The folks who know CEQA, our planners, you know, it, they think it's ridiculous. You're not going to get people through this. I need people to stop fighting to keep a broken model. Let's put a new model in place that mirrors what we find in other counties like Humboldt that's in line with the state. And so that we have we have would move to a, a responsible market where people are doing it responsibly, uh, environmentally compatible, not creating a public nuisance, and shut down the others. Okay, Ted, but, um, but you know, there's at least a dozen uh, grows that popped up uh, approved by staff. Now, you say it's a sheriff issue, but those were grows approved by staff in violation of the ordinance, in violation of the board's closing of phase one and three, and... Uh, uh, those people have embossed receipts. Uh, somehow the staff let them, made them believe that, that they were, uh, they were going to be allowed into the system. Uh, so it's not, uh, it's not just an issue for the sheriff. Staff actually allowed this to happen. In fact, we know one girl that was approved uh, before the property even changed hands because the, the potential buyer wanted to make sure he could grow on an ag parcel in Willits, and they allowed them in. David, yeah. If I could jump in there, you know, if you have specific examples, you know, send them to me, and I can talk to staff about them and try to figure out what went on. So, so if you you know, please give me. Let's talk offline, and uh, okay. if you can give me those specifics, then I'd appreciate that. All right, all, all right. right, fair enough, John. Thanks a lot, caller. Th thank you, Bart. Appreciate it. All right, yeah, that that definitely begs the question: if it's uh, really hard for people to get into the legal program, ten new deputies to enforce the laws it seems like a, a strange way to to prioritize solving the problem. So let's go ahead and take our next call. Let's take this one. Good after, Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Thank you. 
Um, am I live on the air? You're live on the air. Go ahead and turn your radio off, if you would. It is, yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Supervisors, for your time. And uh, that does sound like a good uh, effort, this regional enforcement um, attempt. Uh, sounds quite logical and, and you know, financially um, uh, a smart move. Um, in terms of models, yes, let us let let us do look at Humboldt County, where their code enforcement actually makes money. Their cannabis unit is making money doing a code enforcement, and they are self-sufficient. That's uh, a stark contrast to our totally dysfunctional system here of a complaint-based uh, enforcement mechanism whereas Humboldt County is using active enforcement, and thus they are effective, and that's why people are leaving Humboldt to come here. So please, they have a self-funding mechanism. Let's look at that mechanism and adopt it here. Uh, that's really my comment. All right, thanks, thanks a lot. Can jump in there. I appreciate those comments, and... Um, Supervisor Williams and I did talk with um, John Ford up in, who's the head of planning and building up in Humboldt County last week, and and we are looking at what can we do together and how their enforcement process is going, because my feeling is that you know the complaint-driven model isn't really successful, that it pits neighbors against neighbors, neighbors are intimidated, they don't want to rat on their neighbors, you know, it's just so problematic on that level that um, we need maybe to look at different approaches. All right, let's take another call. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, I'm calling in regards to a previous issue. You guys uh, seem to be expressing some concern about a video that had surfaced on the sheriff's website. Um, to, to me, I, I guess that concern seems to be misplaced. Um, you know, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with race. That that just represents a true thing that has happened in our community, where where people do come from from outside, and uh, oftentimes attempt to cause violence, do cause violence, steal from local people. Um, the idea that people just don't like the photo—it's it's just something that actually happened. Um, it's what our local citizenry have had to deal with. So. Just objecting to the niceties of of optics or whatever it is doesn't doesn't seem like any kind of concern to me. Um, and uh, well, seems, so I, seems I, I have placing the emphasis in the, in the wrong place. I, I have a slightly different take on that. It, it wasn't a video that surfaced on on the county website or the sheriff's website. It was uh, a picture that was selected for. Uh, a board of supervisors agenda item as the last slide in a presentation uh, requesting funding, and I, I think that 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 slide could have been we could have truncated and just not had that slide at all, and probably no image needs to be you know with that caption. Um, I did talk to the sheriff about it and expressed why um, why I think some people may may find it um, offensive. And uh, I'm not going to slam him while he's busy taking care of inmates at the jail. I think it's best if he comes on and he speaks for himself. But I, I know that he recognizes that was a mistake. Um, I'm confident that, um, you know, that, that's not going to happen again. And uh, I think it's more than just niceties. It's, you know, at a time when across the country we're looking at relations between communities and, and um, 
and and the, the people and and minorities uh it's more than being it's more than uh concerned about being sensitive we want law enforcement engaged in our communities with right relationships with the people imagine if you're a person of color if you're a minority in this community i've talked to some of these people who say yeah you're you grew up in this county as this white kid and thought well you didn't have racism i grew up as a minority and here's what my experience was and and it's it's eye-opening and so i think at every turn we want to try we want to make sure we're inclusive and we're not creating hardships for our fellow citizens who are who are good people now um that particular image also wasn't law enforcement activity the sheriff clarified to me what he was trying to highlight in which he planned to deliver as a narrative on tuesday is we need more law enforcement because if we don't have it, this is what will happen. People will resort to self-help if they call 911 and they don't have an officer responding to assist them. And, and I think he's right. We do need uh, a larger presence in some parts of the county, probably the third district from you know my read of the crime report and what Supervisor Hascheck tells me. I think that's very real. And so where I, I'm hopeful we can transition this instead of just... Um, you know, griping about, you know, the sheriff and his choice of images. Let's turn it into a conversation about where we need to go and how to make some progress socially. All right. Thanks for the call, caller. We'll take another call. Good. Oops. All right. The number here in the studio, 707-895-2448. That's 895-2448. This is KZYX. We're on the line with Supervisor John Haschak and Supervisor Ted Williams. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Good morning. Um, first, I'd like to uh, thank the supervisors for their excellent work um, on behalf of our communities. Um, I have a question about water trucks going up to these grows. I live uh, on a county road portion, uh, three miles of county road, single lane, dirt, very difficult ingress and egress for any sorts of emergencies. And during the height of fire season, we had, on average, six round-trip trips with water trucks going up to grows further up the road on private property. And is there any consideration due to be given uh, for uh, permit processes about growers providing their own water on site or whether they will be continuing to be allowed to import water. Um, all the asphalt on the county portion of the road was torn up and of course uh, county transportation department can't uh, do anything about that and the growers can't be held for that because they come under an agricultural umbrella. So. Is there any uh, work that's going to be done that could uh, require growers to have on-site water for their operations instead of importing every year? I would, I would throw um, uh, the proliferation of plastic into that category. That as, as cultivation scales up, uh, hopefully as an ag activity, I know you said it's agricultural, the state actually doesn't see it that way, and that's that's um, that's been a lot of our problem. That the permitting process or the state licensing, it's like somebody putting a gas station in their backyard. The process they, they put them through, and so I think if we if, if we could fix our process so that people could actually get state licensed, we would find that 
proof of adequate water for the operation is is actually a required element. And uh, I, you know, I I have no hesitation suggesting as we move forward into what's known as phase three, we could should we should make it a requirement that uh, water be on site. It's one thing if there's an emergency condition, you know, well breaks and they have to shuttle for a week. But uh, as a re- regular method of operation, uh, it's really unreasonable driving water trucks through residential communities. I, I see that as a nuisance. And then on the plastic, um, as cultivation scales up, uh, the, I don't think the economics really pans out for more, more greenhouses. I wouldn't mind seeing it capped where we are now uh, because eventually uh, the plastic will uh, degrade and it may be an environmental hazard. And uh, we don't know with federal legalization coming where that'll leave the, the landscape in Mendocino County. So I'm with you. John and I meet almost every day. Uh, we talk about cannabis more than I would like to, but we're really trying to iterate at a faster rate to get to get through it and, and reach that light at the end of the tunnel. And these are conversations that come up regularly. How do we uh, transition it to be more like agriculture in a way that's compatible in the appropriate locations, appropriate scale, and not creating a nuisance? Uh, with without um, you know bringing in uh, you know moral ideas about about cannabis and that it should be illegal because it's a drug, uh, the state voters have, have decided that cannabis will be legal. Um, yeah, that's been asked and answered, but but how we integrate it into our communities uh, to balance rights on both sides, uh, I think we can do a better job. Supervisor Hashtag. Yeah, and if I can add to, yeah, certainly um, water hauling is destroying a lot of roads county roads, private roads, and um, we need to look at, are those people legally doing it? Are they, you know, because uh, as we move forward, I'm in agreement with Supervisor Williams is, you know, we shouldn't be allowing people to haul water in to do this agricultural um, process that if you don't have the water in your site, you know, that it's not a good site to have. And so I think that looking at, what we need to do is look at the big picture and see what we want with our cannabis program. And I think um, Supervisor Williams and I are in agreement on a lot of these issues with the plastics, with the water hauling, and we just need agreement from the board, a majority, because we're just the ad hoc, and so what we're looking at is possibly on January 25th. It's a Monday. It's a special meeting. We, I think um, Supervisor Williams and I might be proposing that we use that, special, that time for the special meeting to kind of talk about the vision for cannabis and how it would look in our county. And that would be a time when we can state, you know, this is what we see it going forward. This is the economics, the environmental issues that are involved, how we see it integrating into our communities. Um, so, so we need to have that discussion with the full board, and the sooner the better. Well, we're also working on how to frame it. Um, Supervisor Haschek and I, I think, have worked really well as a team. Uh, we're coming away with better ideas than either one would individually. And um, what I found is a lot of times we have the same goal on site, but we have different ideas about, about how to reach it. We both want to see small independent farms thrive in a responsible manner, compatible with uh, the community at large. And 
Um, but yet I see some of the past board decisions about this proof of prior and the size, you know, 10,000 square feet. I, I don't, you know, you use zoning to separate activities and it started with, um, moving factories out of residential communities, right? That's where the basis of zoning. But I think we've gone a little bit overboard. What we've done is essentially conspire with an industry to for economic reasons. And although economics uh, is, it, it's, it's a, is inherent in the dis- planning decisions we make, it really can't be the driving factor. Our job is to make sure that compatible uses are next to each other. And, uh, you know, if water is the issue, we should regulate water. If water trucks is the issue, let's regulate that. But just setting a size, there are places where 10,000 square feet is totally inappropriate. There are other places, you know, on a, on a large parcel on, connected to a county road without any neighbors in sight, you can't smell it, it could be, it could be larger. And that should come down to um, uh, the planning commission uh, analyzing and looking at the environmental uh, considerations site by site. This one-size-fits-all has created a lot of the problems that we've seen. I know uh, Supervisor Hascheck may have a slightly different take. He's arguing for a set size. But my, my point is, I think we're after that same end goal. It's just a matter of how we get there and how we do it within uh, a legal framework. Can I ask, it sounds like we've been having this same conversation for so many years. Um, why is this moment any different? Why is there hope that we can actually get through this impasse and create um, a system that works and that actually does uh, pave the way for small growers to do their thing without the onerous uh, obstacles? Well, I hope we're just being realistic and, you know, listening to our staff for two years, they've been saying, this is the worst ordinance they've ever seen. This won't work. And here's, here's the reasons why they've walked us through site by site. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've been asked, uh, to stop saying this ordinance is a failure. And here I am again saying this ordinance is an absolute failure. It's failed for the cultivators. It's failed for the communities. I think once we move beyond trying to save this thing and look at, um, just admitting the culpability that this this county made a big blunder on cannabis. We're going to be able to take some steps to, to remedy it and I think make people happy on, on both sides of the fence. All right. So that's really the moment now is to decide to scrap the ordinance and move forward with something fresh. All right. We have another call. Good Hello. morning, caller. You Hi. are live on the air. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's you. Good morning, caller. You're live on the air. Hello, hello. Hello, That's you. You're live on the air. Thank you. Um, Yes, so um, this seems like a good place to segue. I have been watching the Navarro watershed degrade um, very intensely over the last five years, specifically in regard to algae blooms. And this summer it got to a point where there was a blue-green algae, um, a toxic algae, where we had to keep our children out of the river and <clears throat> our dogs. And I would really like to see the supervisors address the Navarro watershed. I don't know if it's a result of nitrogen um, from viticulture and wineries. Sorry, I'm nervous. <laughs> Going into the river, but it's really sad to watch. And it's right in our faces and under our noses. And I would just like to hear uh, Ted. 
Yeah, so um, don't be don't be nervous, and thank you for changing the subject off of cannabis. <laughs> Thanks for calling, caller. <laughs> um, if 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 you'd like to reach out, um, I, I wouldn't mind getting together with you. Maybe see if resource resource conservation and fish and wildlife would be willing to join us and just start a conversation. Okay. Um, you okay. know, I, I drive past it as well, and you know, I looked over last year and thought, um, you know, I used to be able to go in that as a kid. I wouldn't go in it now. Yeah. Um, nope. So totally agree with you. Let's 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 take it up and uh, please please reach out. And for I guess for the for everyone, my cell number is nine three seven three five zero zero. I get a okay. lot of calls. If you can text message, that's best, and I'll call you back nine three seven thirty five hundred. Is there an organization in the Elk area that's already uh, organized and addressing this and attending meetings? Not 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 that I not that I'm aware of. Like a watershed um, organization or something on the Navarro. Yeah, specific to the Navarro, those of us that live right here and have just watched it accelerate into a very bad place. And, you know, in relation to cannabis regulation, I can't help but wonder why we're letting, if it is from the wineries, if we're letting that happen in our county. This is, you know, we know better. And All right. Thanks for that. Right. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's one of those. Alicia, yeah. If I could jump in. When we are talking about the cannabis and the new approach, you know, I think that we have an opportunity right now because we do have two new board members coming on, and we have this situation where we have the provisional deadline coming up at the end of this year. And so we need to figure it out so that we can keep people in the program. And I think with um, you know, Supervisor-elect Forty and uh, Mulherin that we're in a good place for, for coming up with a, a new approach. All right. For, so 2021 New Year's resolutions is to resolve the cannabis impasse with our two new supervisors coming on board. All right, we've got time, I think, for one more call. Let's go ahead and see who's on the line. Good morning, caller. You are live on the air. Yes, this is me. Yep, it's you. Go ahead. Okay, I'd like to just comment on the last caller. Um, I have a funny feeling I grew up on the Eel River for the last 30 years, and I think it has a lot to do with cannabis. I think a lot of that, I mean, it's not as regulated as vineyards, so... You know, I've worked on a lot of vineyards as well, and everything, all pesticides, fertilizers, everything have to be locked up, regulated, checked by the state. Cannabis farms aren't doing that. I've been on a bunch of cannabis farms, and there's garbage, and there's everything all over the place, and the the rivers are getting pumped dry, and everything's being sacrificed, and the regulations need to be a lot stricter. I think they have to make an ordinance where you can't grow within a certain distance from a river, and, you know, I just think that everybody just sees dollar signs and lets everything go under the rug. It seems to me like that's what's happening in our county. I mean, my little town here is filled with hoop houses. They glow all night, and nobody gives a rat's butt. But, you know, everybody wants money, and it's just, it's just crazy. But that's my two cents, and I hope our rivers come back, which I don't think they ever will because the county's already shot themselves in the foot, and they can't bounce back now. All right. Thank you, caller. Thanks so, for those parting words. So- so it turns out cannabis is cannabis cultivation is way more regulated than than vineyard activity, uh, orders of magnitude more regulated. The problem is these people aren't getting through the licensing problem, and so there isn't a license to hold them to. 
And, you know, what you're describing is outlaw activity. You can't use uh, the pesticides on a cannabis farm. The regulation is tight. We don't need to add more regulation. We need to hold people to the state regulation. And the first step in doing that is uh, working on getting them a state license. All right. So in this last minute or so of the show, do you want to give people a sense, uh, a clear sense of the next steps for this process? Supervisor Haschak? Well, Supervisor Williams and I have a call this afternoon with um, CDFA, which is a California Department of Food and Agriculture, which and which runs Cal Cannabis. Um, we're we're trying every day to to figure out how to make it work, and um, that's our commitment. And we will keep at it until we make it work. So, all right, and so you've got this that. special meeting on January twenty fifth. Is this something people should make sure to? to tune in for well that's just my idea at this point we'll we'll see tomorrow during our board meeting how it pans out and if we want to use that time for a cannabis discussion all right and then tomorrow of course the sheriff will be coming to the board to ask for the approval of four million dollars to add 10 new deputies any last words you want to say about that we, we need a strategic plan in this county. We need to look at where we want to be a couple decades out, set some reasonable uh, goals, and track the milestones. Um, where the financial picture in this county is not good. The reason a lot of services are um, questionably implemented comes back to finances. And there's nothing left to tax. If people want to continue this conversation with the two of you, uh, where can you, where can you point them? How can they contact you? 937-3500 for Williams and Haschek. It is 972-4214. Or email at haschekj at mendocinocounty.org.